Uh, we're in this series, this summer series, Fruits of the Spirit. Fruit, not fruits, fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, let me encourage you to turn, get there in your Bible. We're going to look at several different things within that passage, within the passage that's there. But then we're going to be flipping around too, because really to understand each of these aspects of this one fruit, we need to see it expressed across the whole scripture. And so, so we're going to be there, but I, I just want to do an informal poll kind of as you guys are settling in and thinking about it. Is there anybody here that just, I, I think I know the answer to the question, but let me just do an informal poll that I think will prove the point. Is there anyone here that just doesn't want to be happy? If you do not want to be happy in life, would you raise your hand? Yeah, that's what I thought. I, I think that this holds true much more broadly. It's, it's not, um, this is not scientific. It's not, it's not covering a large enough segment of the population to, to prove out that there's potentially people who don't want to be happy. They're, they probably do exist. But I'm going to suggest we would assume something's wrong with them and we would seek to find help for them, right? I mean, the, the, the kind of people that, that, that they, they just won't pursue anything that makes them happy. They won't, they won't do anything that, that keeps happiness. Or they, they will purposefully do things to keep happiness from creeping in, right? Like we, we seek to help people that, that think this way, that act this way. But I think like love, as Ricky kind of laid out for us last week, like love, joy is joy, happiness. It's something that is intrinsic to every person. It's a desire we all have. We all want to be happy, Here's the problem. In, a, in, in seeking to satisfy our desire for happiness, in seeking happiness, in the pursuit of happiness, we've been sold a bill of goods. We've been, we've been, we, we bought swampland in Florida thinking that we were getting beachfront property. And seeking to satisfy the desire of happiness or, or seeking and pursuing joy, we sought to drive across the country without ever putting gas in our car, we, we sought to produce an apple without ever planting a tree. The point I'm trying to make, the, the thing I'm trying to say is that, that we've sought this thing that we all desire, but what we've been doing isn't working. The, the, the things that people are telling us about how to be happy, the lies that we believe, have led us to greater levels of depression and anxiety and frustration and envy and dissensions and divisions, and ultimately that ends in destruction. If we keep doing what we've been doing, we'll keep getting the same results. If we keep looking for joy, if we keep seeking to find this satisfaction, the, 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 the fullness of joy, the fulfillment of happiness, if we continue looking in the places we've been looking We'll keep getting the same results. We've got to do something different. One of the reasons we wanted to do this series is because really it's got a whole lot less with what we do than it does with what we believe. And where we, where we place our focus and our, our attention. If we want to know the abiding joy of walking with God, we are going to have to quit looking for the places that we've been looking for it from. We're going to have to quit trying to produce it on our own. We're going to have to quit leaning into something that is incapable 
of doing in us what only God can do. So let's read. We're going to read the whole passage, Galatians 5, 16 through 26. We're going to dig into this, and, and I hope I, by the end of this, we will all be better equipped, better able to walk in joy. So, Paul writing to the Galatian church, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Let me just point out, this is not an exhaustive list. Things like these. There's all kinds of stuff that the flesh produces, that the flesh works at. Things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentle, or faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us, become, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, help us now, I pray, just that you would be with us in this time. That you would show us that you really do. You, you really are concerned about our emotional state, about our happiness. That through holiness you have called us, that you are calling us to happiness. That, that by making us holy, you are making us happy. And so I, I pray, Father, that we will quit, 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 quit running to these empty vessels, these broken, these, uh, just all the, the lies that we've been fed, all the, all the false, false gods, the false motives, the false the, the empty promises. And that you will draw us closer to yourself and enable us to walk in such a way that we get to enjoy you as much as we possibly can. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We can't entertain our way to joy. Although, I think if you look around us, you would assume that many people believe they can. We, 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 we fill our minds with, with, with things that entertain, that, that divert our attention, that, that allow us to set down the weights and struggles of the world. And we just look to entertain ourselves to this place of Happiness, this place where we're not feeling the weight of struggle in life. But it always leads us to the same, leads us to the same place. The show is over. The series ends. The movie is ended. The, the series, uh, the, the, the um, <laughs> let me be careful as I pick on things. But the, the, um, the Marvel verse or Marvel universe or whatever you call it, finally shows itself to be the same story over and over, empty and more empty and leading to nothing to the point that it's, it, it's dull now to even watch one of those movies because you, can know, you know the beginning and you know the end and you know all the middle and over and over and over it just lends itself to more dullness. To no matter how many times you reset Star Wars... It's the same story with a little robot that runs around in his comic relief to a, to, a, to a person who's rebelling against the powers that be 
Over and over and over, it's the same story leading to the same place. The series ends, and man, we, just, we, we need to reboot this because I want to feel those feelings again. We cannot entertain ourselves to joy. We can't buy our way to joy. Even the world understands this, that money doesn't buy you love, nor does it buy you happiness, right? That we, we understand that. That's, those, those are sayings that the, that the world understands and they get. They, they understand. They look at rich people and they see the struggles of their life and they recognize money has not made them happy. It might just complicate things. We can't accumulate enough wealth or stuff and eventually arrive at joy. It just will never happen. No matter how many new cars you buy, eventually they become old cars. They lose their new car smell. It's just the reality of the world we live in. We can't educate our way to joy. If I just know the right things, if I just get the right degree, if I just have the right information... And yet it has produced a massive debt problem in our country that now people are trying to figure out how to fix because education has lended itself to frustrations of financial debt and, and weight that people feel crushed by. I'm going to suggest they're not happy. We can't control our circumstances or the circumstances of the ones we love and find joy. If I, just, if, I, if, I, if I can just make everything work out the way I want it to, if I can just fulfill my plan, if I can just keep my kids from the troubles of life or repeating my mistakes or being exposed to, sin, to a sinful world, if I can just keep our lives, my four and me and my four, if I can just keep us, if I can just hold us, if I can just protect us, if I can just... I can just keep our circumstances exactly as I want them to be. That's a treadmill that you can never climb off of. Relying on a power for you to move. This is not a treadmill that you plug into the wall and moves for you. This is one that you're the one having to provide the power. You're the one having to provide the motion. You're the one having to keep it going. You're the one that gets it done. I've watched this over and over in the lives of people. You have watched this over and over in the lives of people. Those are not people that I would say are joyful. These are just some of the lies we're told. Just some of the lies we tell ourselves. Just some of the lies that we believe. But, but, but they're not the only lies. The, the flesh... It, 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 it tells us, it, it desires, it longs for, it runs after the flesh that Paul is talking about that produces works that are opposition to God and opposition to his spirit at work in us. The, the flesh, oh man, the works of the flesh are inherently sinful. And so even as it pursues something as noble as happiness, as noble as joy, it will never arrive at that because it is inherently Sinful. Even to the point that Paul calls out the self-righteous, law-based, religious folks that are plaguing the Galatian people. 
They come to Galatia after Paul has been there and planted a church, preached the gospel, and and seen its fruit in the lives of people. And they come along and they begin to to preach a gospel that's Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus observance of the law. Jesus plus doing something to sustain yourself in salvation. Yeah, you might get justified by Jesus' death, but you need to do the works of the law so that you can be sanctified in Jesus' death. Yeah, Jesus' death might be good. It might be necessary for the forgiveness of sins, but you must add to his work your observance of the law. Self-righteous law-based religion is just another work of the flesh. All it does is produce more works of the flesh. And Paul is he is writing one of the most powerfully polemic, he's most argumentative, most forceful letters. Because he is concerned about these believers, about these Christians who are, who are being deceived by not the lies of the world that say, hey, you can entertain or you can control or you can, you can buy your way to happiness, but by people who are saying you can grow up in Christ by adding your work to him. The problem is that religion calls us to holiness by our own power. Holiness, apart from the the Spirit's work, though, never results in happiness. Holiness, only by God's call, only by God's power, only by God's work produces happiness. Only by the work of God through Jesus the Son and His Holy Spirit is the fruit of a transformed life produced in His people. This is, the, this is the theme, this is the desire, this is the hope that as we walk through all nine of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit that you will see time and time again. And though Ricky didn't necessarily use these words last week, you can hear it all the way through his message. God was the source of love. God is the, God, God, God is the one who makes it available. He himself is love. To have love, we must have him. To know love, we must know him. We will never arrive at these things that the Spirit produces by our own power, by our own efforts. This was the driving purpose of the letter that Paul wrote to to guard the Galatians from abandoning a life produced by faith, salvation produced by faith, justification produced by faith, and yes, even sanctification Becoming more holy, becoming more righteous, becoming more like the image of being conformed to the image of Christ, becoming more like him. The only way that occurs is because God has produced it by the work of his spirit in the life of his people. We will never be justified by our work, nor are we ever going to be sanctified by our work. These are God's work. Only by the work of God through Jesus the Son and his Holy Spirit is the fruit of a transformed life produced in his people. Last week we looked at love. This week we're looking at joy. So let me just change that just a hair so that it fits the purpose of today's sermon. Only by the work of God through Jesus the Son and his Holy Spirit is joy produced in his people. 
Well, let's dig into this. What is this joy that the Spirit produces as we walk in Him, as we stay in step with Him? What is this joy? And I think, unfortunately, we have over-spiritualized this idea of joy, that we have built a, a dichotomy, that we have, we've sought to show a distinction and a division and a difference between happiness and joy. We've we spiritualized it to this place that we can't even understand the concept of joy, that we make it something so internal that it doesn't ever reveal itself in our rejoicing. That we walk around as Christians with the, with the availability God has provided us with joy, but never expressing joy. Never feeling joy. But I hope today, and here, here's the reality. I, I just want to be honest about this. I want to be transparent in my own life, my own works, my own walk, my own struggles, my own thoughts. This is not only something we've done. It's not only something I've thought. It's something I've taught. That, oh man, Christians can have joy and, and, and the world has happiness and, and happiness is empty and it's fleeting and it's momentary and, and joy, though, this thing called joy that we're all after that we can't really define or can't really put our fingers on. I hope to dispel much of that today. Joy at its core, at the heart of what joy is, the very meaning of joy is happiness. This is what the Spirit produces in us. And I hope you'll hear today. I hope you'll hear that God cares about your emotional state. He's not just concerned about your holiness. He is concerned about your happiness. He's not just concerned about, about how, how righteous you live. He's concerned about your joy as you live it. Happiness is, is so much more than a superficial, fleeting thing. I, I, don't, I don't know where we began thinking this way. I don't know where it started, but, but I can tell you that over the last few years, the Lord has convinced me, starting in books I've read, starting in things I've studied, but then brought me to a reality as we worked through the book of Philippians a couple of years back. And saw that joy, being called to rejoice together over and over, is really a call for us to be happy in Christ together. Are we? It's a real question that we should be thinking. Are we happy in life? Are we happy in life together? Is joy, is happiness something that really marks us? As God's people. See, I, I, think we, I think in part we started thinking this way, trying to, trying to give some definition and some understanding that, that, yeah, the world, they can experience happiness. They can experience joy in a fleeting manner, in, in momentary glimpses. They get a taste, just a taste. So we, we've sought to try to dis, dis, discern and, and show that there's a difference between what the world can experience versus what the Christian is actually given to experience, a fullness of joy, an abiding joy, a, 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 a truth of joy rooted in something that's solid and substantial and never changes or never ends. But really, the only difference between Christian joy and worldly joy is the source in which we look for it. Is the, is the way that we seek to achieve it, the, the way that we seek to satisfy that desire. But only God can truly make 
happy. Only he can produce joy within us. And even by his common grace, he's giving that to people who don't know him and will never know him, at least in glimpses, at least in fleeting moments. The rain falls, the rain falls and the sun shines on the evil in the same way that it does the righteous. He allows everyone to get a taste, but he provides the fullness of it to his people. Joy is an emotion that we experience and express. Joy is an emotion that we experience and express. The word used here, Paul uses it in the midst of this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy, kara. It's cheerfulness, calm delight, gladness, as spelled out by Strong's Concordance. We could easily say it's happiness and it, it, that, that it's happy or happiness. Randy Alcorn wrote a book about, it, actually the title of it, I was going to say it's about joy, but it's really the title of it's happiness. He, back in 2015, he writes this book. And he walks through all the uses of the words that are translated in the, in the Bible, in the Greek and in the Hebrew as joy or happiness or gladness. He walks through them all and he demonstrates through this book. Every last one of them are used as synonyms. And this especially becomes clear in the Psalms where poetry and parallelism is used. Where, where, where the word that would be translated joy most frequently is paired with and paralleled with the word that's translated happy or glad. It shows all across the, 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 the Bible that these words are used, the, the, the 22-ish Hebrew words and the 15-ish Greek words that are translated as, as some form of, of emotional response that's happy and joyful and glad and all of these things. They're used as synonyms. They're interchangeable in the Scripture. And this is not a new perspective. It's not something he just came on. It seems to be that the, whole, that the way the church has always perceived this is that joy is not some, not some um, theory, the theoretical idea of a feeling or, a, or a, a state of being, but it's this emotion. It's this emotion that we experience, that, that we express. It seems to be that this way the church has historically looked at it. Jonathan Edwards referring to John 15, 11. We're going to look at that verse in a minute. But as he's writing and commenting on John 15, 11, Jonathan Edwards, and let me just give you a context. John, John, John 15, 11 is about Jesus. He's saying, I want you to have my joy, and I want that to be the fullness of my joy. And Edwards writes, the happiness Christ gives to his people is the participation of his own happiness. As he reads the text, as he studies the text, he doesn't come back and say, oh, joy, joy, joy. He doesn't even give the tagline or the qualifier. What I really mean is that the way that we experience Christ's joy is by having his own joy. He just simply uses the word happiness because it means the same thing. Spurgeon said, despite your tribulation... Take full delight in God, your exceeding joy, this morning, and be happy in Him. Three words that all mean the same thing. Take your delight in God. Delight in Him. Let Him be the fullness of all that you desire and all the things. That delight in Him. Be excited in Him. Feel good about Him. Long for Him. Think of Him as the greatest desire of your life, your exceeding joy. And be happy in Him. It's really all the same thing. 
It's parallel. It's synonyms. It's parallels that, that are when we when we say things, emphasizing the point. We do this over and over in all of language, and it seems to be that God is really concerned about our joy, and He's providing it, and He's producing it in His people. I think we sought to distinguish between these two because we, at times, see the world seem to be happier than maybe we're happy. Don't we feel that way sometimes? Don't you look out into the world and think, oh man, how can they be so happy? How many of these people have you actually sat down and talked with to to, to see that they are struggling deeply in their life and they are pretending? Man, Facebook gives us the perfect example. I walk with people through their struggles and trials and tribulation and I look at their Facebook feeds and they're talking about, oh man, I, I love my husband. And I just sit and listen to her a week before say I can't stand him. Oh, my kids are amazing. And I just walked with them in a counseling session. They are driving me nuts. I want to send them away. The world is lying. There's moments when a baby's born that people feel happy. And then that baby wakes up that first night at home and needs to be nursed and cares about no one but itself. For years. Wait, we might still be doing that. Be careful. <laughs> right? Like, it, it, it's a lie. It's fleeting. It's a moment that the reason they seem so happy is because they don't want to believe anybody to believe they're sad. But our world is filled with people seeking, seeking happiness from medication, seeking happiness from circumstance, seeking happiness from from, from controlling their circumstance, from, from getting the right, if I just get the right wife, if I just get the right husband, I promise you, they will bring you trouble. It'll be good trouble if you're walking in Christ together, but it's going to be difficult. People who pretend that marriage isn't a hard thing are liars. People that, that pretend that a person is going to make them happy in and of themselves is a fool. It's just the reality of the world we live in. By God's common grace, these people experience a taste of happiness. They experience moments of happiness. But what happens when the baby they just celebrated dies? I've never had to walk through this, but I've walked alongside some people who have lost a child, that lost a spouse, What happens when the lies are proven to be false and the world comes crashing and crumbling down? Or the job that you thought was going to provide you happiness because it was going to pay you so much. Because it was going to free you to do all the things you wanted to do. Turns out to be toil in a fallen and sinful world. Or you get fired. Or it doesn't Hey, what do you do? Joy and happiness, they are something that everyone can experience, but the fullness of joy, the joy that I would long for you to know is only ever experienced in Christ. 
In fact, it's the emotion of the gospel. It's the emotion of God's people that should mark God's people. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel comes and says what? Fear not. Don't be gripped by fear. Don't be ruled in the emotion of fear. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. The gospel breathes joy. Not just any kind of joy, but great joy. Peter, writing to a scattered and suffering church, spread across an area, says, though you have not seen him, speaking about their relationship with Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And and, and what does that produce? You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. When's the last time you felt joy that was inexpressible and filled with glory? When's the last time that despite the suffering circumstances that you find yourself in, you were filled up with the reality that I belong to Christ, that He is mine and I am His? I mean, that's beautiful. This joy, this this. This inexpressible, unable to speak about how happy I am, how fulfilled I am, how the desires of my heart are so absolutely fulfilled. Because look at who he is and look at what he's done. The reality is there is no place for any frozen, chosen people in God's kingdom. This is the emotion of God's people. It's the emotion of salvation. It's the expression that the gospel lends itself to. If we are not moved to joy in hearing the gospel and seeing our Savior, I have a greater concern for your soul than for why you're struggling in a particular circumstance. This is the emotion that God's work produces in his people so that we express it. And think about what joy does for the mission of God's people and God's work in the world. I mean, if we walk around celebrating and rejoicing in, I don't know, all the circumstances of life that everybody else, and, and never once rejoice in the fact that our name is written in the name in the book of life. What does that say? If we walk around praising God that he, he, he gave us health or, or, or gave us wealth or, or gave us whatever, but never once praise his name for saving our soul for eternity, what does that say? But if we're marked by anger, fear, frustration, worry, and all the, all the emotions that are driven out and produced by the works of our flesh, what does that say? What message does that proclaim? This, this, this joy that God is producing, this joy that's produced in us by the Spirit is, is an emotion that's, that's if it's real and true, will be expressed. 
It's also joy. I would encourage you to see that joy is circumstantial and relational. It's another thing I think that we've sought to, we've over-spiritualized the idea of joy because, oh man, you know, happiness, we want to make it about circumstance and superficiality and it's empty and joy, that's the real thing we're after. But joy is circumstantial and relational. I think we can see that in this passage. He's talking to a people whose joy is being robbed. He's talking to a people who aren't experiencing the fullness of joy because they're being deceived to run back to the law. He's talking to a people whose lives, they left the sinful things of the world, but they're just turning back to works of the flesh and now not knowing the joy. Absolutely, there's circumstance that matters. And absolutely, there's relationship that matters. There's a, there's a clear connection between the experience of joy and the walking in the Spirit. Without that relationship, without the intimacy of that relationship, we won't know the joy that He produces and provides. I came across this in an article I read supporting this idea. It's a Holman Bible Dictionary is, is where I... It, it, who, I can't... I don't know the person's name that wrote the article, but it was there. Joy in the Christian life is in direct proportion as believers walk with the Lord. They can rejoice because they are in the Lord. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit-led life. Sin in a believer's life robs, a pers- robs the person of joy. It's circumstantial. It's relational. And, and I don't want you to just lean into the idea, oh, well, the Bible dictionary says it, so Seth must be right about that. No, this is the, this is the perspective of Scripture. Paul clearly lays it out here. You can't give yourself to the works of the flesh and walk in the Spirit at the same time because they're opposed. But walk in the Spirit, and as, the Spirit does, as you do that, the Spirit produces in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. There's a relationship required. There's an intimate walking in that relationship. The circumstance must be one of walking in Him. We see it also across uh, the Scripture. In the Psalms is a good example. Psalm 51, David is repenting of his sin with Bathsheba. And he's upset, he's sorrowful, he's broken. Psalm 51, 7 through 8, he writes, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So he's looking to the Lord to forgive his sin, to cleanse his sin, to atone for his sin. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Now, I don't know if you pick up on it immediately, but broken bones are hard, and they hurt. You ever broken a bone? I haven't, so I don't know. But I, I've watched people with broken bones, and they hurt. It's not, it's not, there's something off, and it, it, it calls our attention away from all that, that's happening and all that God's doing. But even that, David is saying, in the brokenness of these bones, let me find joy. He goes on just a couple of verses later, Psalm 51, 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. The circumstances of our life matter. Sin in our lives rob us of joy. Give in to the works of the flesh. And, and you just look at this list that Paul walks through. He, he walks through this list and, and, and how much of the world is walking into sexual immorality impurity and sensuality and thinking they're going to be happy. I want to be careful not to be too crude. But how many foolish boys have pretended if they can bed that girl, they'll be happy? How many foolish girls have been bed by a boy thinking that will make them happy? 
how much of the world has run into sex that is in opposition to and with disregard for God's intention between one man, one woman married in covenant relationship. How many people have given themselves to that thinking, if it feels good, it'll make me happy? How many people have given themselves to false gods in the pursuit of happiness? How many people have thought that, hey, they don't stand for the thing that I stand. I'm going to stand up in anger, and I'm going to destroy them, and I'm going to overpower them, and I'm going to make them see things my way, thinking that if they can silence their opposition, they'll be happy. Never works. The anger of man never produces the righteousness of God. Never, James says. Just in case you're not getting it, that means never, right? Drives me nuts when Christians walk out into the world angry, pointing fingers at the world or one another as if that's going to do something worth buying into. Sin robs us of joy. Works of the flesh rob us of joy. Law-based false religion robs us of joy. The only way that we are able to know and enjoy joy is if God is with us and we are with God. We are living. We can see it also in Paul's letter to the church to Rome. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God, the authority of God, the rule of God is, is, is really what he's getting at. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The, the world is pursuing all kinds of relationships, circumstances to become happy. They're looking at these things as if they're going to make them happy, but God is establishing a kingdom that is marked by the existence of it. This distinguished from the world's pursuit of happiness because he's the one making it. He's the one providing it. He's the one building it. He's the one establishing it. Our relationship to him and our walking with him is what brings us joy. We, we can't sin and expect to experience a joyful life. So if when no one's looking, you have given yourself to a pornography addiction to sexual immorality, pretending that you're something that you're not. If, if you are, are, when you're all alone, or in the depths of your heart even, pretending that you can accumulate enough wealth to make you happy and to secure you in this life, you will not know the fullness of this joy. That is an idol. That is a lie. It's a false God that will never provide. But those are the easy ones to pick out. That's the easy kind of stuff to point out. If you think by your self-righteous, law-based religion, you will arrive at joy, you are wrong. You cannot make yourself righteous enough you cannot make yourself holy enough. You cannot build a list of rules long enough. We, we can't sin 
in noble, in apparently noble ways, nor can we sin in in ignoble ways and expect that we're going to experience this joy. We can't, can't look to our horizontal relationships and expect them to make us happy. We've kind of already walked through. Your kids are going to be a trouble to you. They're going to be a struggle for you. They're going to be a problem for you. Your spouse is going to be trouble for you. It's going to be a struggle for you. It's going to be difficult to stay in the relationship. Your Christian brothers and sisters and the fellowship that we walk in is messy. But when we all turn our attention toward the Savior, when we all look away to Him, when we all, when we all get our eyes set on Him, here's what is beautiful. He begins to gift us in such a way that we become a blessing to one another. And rather than having to take joy from somebody and take things and get stuff, we're so satisfied that we begin to give and everybody else begins to give and God uses us to bring joy to one another. Now, we can't take it from one another, but God can use us in one another's lives to provide it. We can't get it in the actions and circumstances of our life but he can use those circumstances to bless and to bring us joy. We can't expect to arrive at the, cir- at the right circumstance and finally be happy. But even as we walk through, the, through this life, through, through what I would say is the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear evil. We don't have to be overwhelmed by the weight of the world because God is with us. His mercy, His goodness, follow us all the length of our days. He prepares a table. He leads us in paths of righteousness. He brings us to green pastures and still waters. Make no mistake, the circumstance and relationship, they absolutely are significant in our experience of joy. But it's a circumstance of walking with the Lord who we are in intimate relationship with. Our relationship with him bears joy in every other relationship in life. Our walking with him bears joy in every circumstance of life. So joy is an emotion we experience and express. Joy, excuse me, joy is circumstantial and relational. Joy is produced by God's spirit in, excuse me, Joy is produced by God's Spirit in His people. That's the whole point of this series, to see that this is a work God does. Joy is not something we can work at. In fact, one of the the things I would seek to guard this church against is saying, oh man, look at this list of fruit. Joy, love, joy, peace, patience. I need to work on this one. I need to work on that one. I I I need to make this. I need to be more joyful. I'm glad if you see that in your heart and life, right? But don't, do, don't, 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 don't run and try to produce it. Don't run and try to make it happen. Don't, do, don't just put a smile on your face and pretend everything's okay when it's not. Don't, don't, don't be like the rest of the world, posting, your, posting all your happy stuff on Facebook when your life is falling apart. In fact, I just encourage you to quit posting that stuff on Facebook. <laughs> Sorry, that's another... We won't go there. Sit down with people instead of trying to relate across something like that. Anyway, that's another sermon for another day. I I just want you to joy is not something we produce. It's something God 
bears out in us. It's like, so, so he uses the term fruit. You don't get an apple by thinking apple, 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 apple. You don't get an apple by, by simply tr- trying to make an apple appear out of another apple. You get an apple by planting a seed that grows a tree and tending the tree. And then, and then who, who makes the apple appear? Not you. Oh, but I watered the tree. I, I made sure that the animals didn't come. T- you took care of the tree. The tree did what it's supposed to do, and it bears fruit. You didn't do it. You just took care of the tree. And that's the whole idea. Is he, he's saying that, look, you can't produce this. You can't do this stuff. Don't go running after joy. Run after the Spirit. Walk with Him. Walk in step with the Spirit. And earlier in the letter, he's confronting Peter. And he's saying Peter was out of step with the gospel. The same way he's calling us to be in step with the Spirit. Joy is produced by God's Spirit. So if you want joy, don't go after joy. That's the byproduct. That's the fruit of pursuing your relationship with the Spirit who's nurturing a relationship with you. And don't misunderstand. You're not the one making the Spirit do this work. You're the tree that He's going to bear fruit through. You get what I'm saying? You're not going to go to the Spirit and see Him as the tree and say, oh, He's going to produce this fruit. No, you're the tree He's tending to that he's loving, that he's nurturing, that he's taking care of, that can't help but produce this fruit as it's nurtured by him. So what do I do? How do I get joyful? Where, just, just tell me what to do. Give me the, give me the 12 steps to joy. Give me, give, me the, give me the list of rules that if I follow these, I'll get joy. Give me, that's works of the flesh. Those are the lies that have led us all along. Walk in the Spirit. Well, how do I do that? Read your Bible and pray more. That's what Ricky said last week. He's like, I know this sounds like a Sunday school answer. Read your Bible and pray more. Okay, that, that's a, that, I, I, I don't want to argue it. I think that's exactly right. But I want to add something to it. Believe what it says and believe the one you're praying to actually works. Trust him. Trust his word. Trust his work. Trust him. Quit pretending that you trust him and then you're going to run off and try and do everything on your own. Believe in him. Jesus told the the Pharisees that followed him after they they came looking for more miracles and he had just fed this multitude and they came after him the next day and he says, you didn't come because you saw the sign. You you came because you're wanting your bellies filled back up. He says to them, don't do these works that are futile and empty and lead to nothing. Do the work of God. And they're like, oh, 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 finally, finally, here's the answer. What's the work of God? We're about to get our list of rules to follow. Jesus says, the work of God is to believe in him whom he has sent. Is that enough? Just to trust God? Is that a, is that a, is, But I'll guarantee it's the hardest thing you'll ever be called to do. To trust him and him alone. Because you want to work. You want to accomplish. You want to conquer. You want to control. You want to exercise power. You want to build. You want to make your own kingdom. You, 
That's innate and in, in, intrinsic in every fleshly person who has ever lived. And he now says, walk in the Spirit. Live by his power. Live in his presence. Have your life absolutely affected and fully borne out by him. In, in Ephesians, he's, he calls the church to be filled by the Spirit. This is like the idea of being filled up by a sail. Well, how do I do that? How do I get filled up like a sail so that the Spirit influences every aspect of my life? Get in His way. Turn the sail into the wind. Read the Bible and pray more. And then trust what it says. Joy is, the, is, is produced by God's Spirit and His people. Finally, let me just point you to this last idea that I think is represented in this passage. Joy is the Christian's responsibility to enjoy. Look, God has provided it. He is going to produce it, but it is our responsibility, the tension of the sovereignty of God and responsibility of man. It's, it's evident, I think, in this passage. When, when Paul writes this out, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is his work. This is what he produces. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. There's a responsibility of ours to walk in these things, to do these things. He opens the passage. But I say, walk by the Spirit, as you will not, desire, not gratify the desires of the flesh. It is our responsibility to live in such a way. It's our responsibility to pursue the Spirit, to run after Him, to get in His way, to read the Bible and pray more, and to trust what He says, to be transformed by Him. We can't force his hand, but we can quench the spirit. Listen, joy is not an option. It's not something we get to choose to be joyful sometimes. And Oh, Christmas is here. Let's talk about joy. There's 364 days of the year other than Christmas that joy is expected of every believer. To be blunt, let me just say it like this. To be blunt, if we aren't happy, if we are not rejoicing in Christ, if we are not rejoicing because of Christ, if we are not rejoicing because we are not walking in the Spirit, we are in sin. He's provided it. He's producing it. And, and now it's our responsibility to put it on. And it's not something that I'm just implying or inferring from this letter in Galatians. It's all over the Scripture. The commands to rejoice, to be joyful. Psalm 32, 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. He is talking to his people. You righteous ones, rejoice. Be joyful. Luke 10, 20. Jesus, this is an interesting one because the people came back doing a noble work. Man, they, he had sent the disciples out two by two. And they come back and they're like, oh man, we were casting out demons. We were healing people. We had power. And they're so excited. And Jesus confronts them and gently, maybe not so gently, rebukes them. What are you rejoicing over that for? He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know why he doesn't want you rejoicing in the spirits being subject to you? Because what if one day he decides not to subject the spirit to you? Then your joy is based on what you can do and not what he's done. Your name is written in the book of life. Revelation tells us that it's been there since before the foundation of the world. 
I think that's something to rejoice in. And it never changes. It's been there since before the foundation of the world, and it will be there at the end when we stand in front of him. He will call out your name. You are mine. Look, your name is written right there. Philippians 4.4, Paul, again, now to the church in Philippi, uh, uh, writing a letter filled with joy and rejoicing. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And before I told you that, that running after these things and works of the flesh never do these things, but he is saying we should always be rejoicing in the Lord. And this is not a suggestion. This is an imperative. It is a command. Rejoice always. When is that? When is it? Every second, every moment, every circumstance, every situation, every, every moment, rejoice. Again, I'm going to say rejoice. Oh, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Come on now. You can't mean when I'm facing hardship, when things are going wrong, when things are bad, God expects me to rejoice. Huh? I can't mean that. James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The poo just hit the fan. Count it all joy. He, he lets us see why. Because even these things God is using to bring us to completion and perfection. I mean, we're, we're all excited about being made complete and perfect, right? Like, who doesn't want that? We all want it. There's a reason to rejoice even in the midst of the worst and darkest days. Interestingly enough... Not being joyful was one of the reasons that God gave the old covenant people for the curses that he would bestow on them if they didn't walk in covenant with them. Deuteronomy 28, 47, as he's pronouncing the curses and why they are coming to them, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness, with gladness of heart. Oh, man. So when I serve in the nursery with a less than glad and joyful heart, you mean it might not be acceptable service? You mean when I have to tell someone caught in sin, because I love them, caught in sin and trapped in sin, that they're in sin and call them to repentance, and I do that with less than a joyful heart, then it's not, I'm not saying God won't use it. I'm not saying God won't work through it. What I'm suggesting is it won't bring the joy it should or could because we're not already joyful and glad of heart. So go, walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the gospel. Trust and obey Jesus' words. Follow Him. Walk with Him. However you want to say it. Like how, whatever idiom you want to give to it. Whatever, whatever way that you need to describe it, to understand it. The idea here is that we read God's word, we trust God's word, we live by God's word. We live trusting him. The righteous shall live by faith. We enter in faith and we stay in faith, not by works. If you aren't happy today, if joy is fleeting for you today, I hope you hear there's one way to enjoy it. There's one way to walk in it. God cares about your emotional well-being more than your counselors, more than your therapists, more than the doctors who are prescribing you drugs. And I recognize there's space for some of that stuff. I don't I suggest that there's not. But as you are working and dealing with the brokenness of your body, 
don't dismiss the work that needs to be done in your heart. These things will never produce the joy that only comes from walking in the Spirit. So, repent of the circumstances that are robbing you of your joy. Repent of the relationships that you're seeking joy from. Repent of the sin, the works of the flesh that's keeping you from walking closely with him. And turn to Christ in his spirit and look to him and him alone in his way and his word and his work. And watch the spirit fill you with joy. Seems somewhat providential as we're here at this weekend that we are celebrating our independence and these ideas that our founding fathers saw as self-evident that everyone is bestowed with these same inalienable rights, the pursuit, or I'm sorry, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And man, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go out and I'm going to blow up a bunch of fireworks in the name of the Constitution and be excited because we live where we live. But it's interesting to me that as we read the Bill of Rights, that those Bill of Rights are bestowed by our Creator. That's absolutely true. But the only way to enjoy them is in and through the work of His Son, bestowed upon us and produced in us by the work of His Holy Spirit as we walk in Him. Our Constitution, our inalienable rights, our country will never do for us what God has done. So as you're blowing up some of those fireworks, don't rejoice in the fact that you have a Constitution that gives you that, that recognizes, or a Bill of Rights that recognizes that this is something that God has bestowed on people, but recognize you know the God that's given it. That you know the God that's the source of life, that's the source of freedom. Rejoice in Him. Let's pray.